you, Dave. Good morning again, everyone. Let's pray together. Dear God, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. What a sweet name. The name of power and of glory and of majesty. The name of Jesus. You mention that name and things move, things change. People change when that name is spoken. People get upset now when that name is spoken. Lawsuits happen when that name is spoken. God, I pray that our church would be a place where that name is not just spoken, but adored and loved and proclaimed. No matter what might happen through the years, we are a people who love the name of Jesus. And I pray, O Lord, that that would be the case for the rest of our days, each one of us, as individuals and as a church. For it's in his name that I pray, amen. This morning, we're going to talk about some things that are hot-button issues in our culture today. So if you don't like those kinds of things, I think we have some earplugs down there. You might want to grab them. This is the beauty of preaching through a book of the Bible. When you preach through a book of the Bible, you don't get to choose what you're going to preach on. God chose. And so we're working our way one verse at a time, and I'm just obedient. And so this week happens to be a text which points to some very uh, important things that are happening in our culture right now. In fact, some of the biggest things. Like the things that you read about on the headlines of the newspaper, the things that you see people talking about if you go on Facebook or social media or anything like that, those are the things that happen to be the main lesson in our text for today. So, if you are looking for something to talk about on the beach today after church, or if you're looking for something to talk about at breakfast or lunch or brunch or whatever you're going to have afterwards, I'm hoping that today's service will provide you with a whole lot of things to talk about. Um, Identity. Identity has become a a big issue in our culture in the last few months, and it will only become a bigger issue as months and years go by. So we need to talk about that. We've been going through Genesis specifically to find out the identity of God. We want to find out who He is based on who His Word says He is. We want to find out who He reveals Himself to be in the Scriptures. We're going to go about talking about that a little bit more today. But I want to remind you of some of the things that have happened recently in the news. Target. Target Corporation became the first major corporation to make a move towards gender-neutral bathrooms and changing rooms. So if you go into Target, um, you don't know who's going to be in the changing rooms or bathrooms. Just yesterday, I was reading an article about a woman who identifies as a cat. I kid you not. And so she's actually asking people in her inner circle to treat her as if she was a feline. It's the truth. You can look these things up. Apparently now, gender lines, it's not even appropriate for us to say that gender lines are being blurred because we've gone way past blurring at this point. We've really gone to a place where uh, identity has been something that is really being systematically dismantled. And the question really is, who has authority over these things? That really is the question of our day. And I'm going to prove it to you today using the scriptures and talking about several other things. The big question that ought to be on everybody's mind even as we go into this election in November is, who is in charge? 
Who has the authority to make decisions? Is it man? Or is it God? These are big questions, I know. I had a verse that kept running through my mind all week as I was preparing this week. It comes from the book of Judges because what was happening in the book of Judges is kind of very similar to what's happening in our day today. And there's a verse. It runs through and through. It's kind of the theme of the whole book. You know what it says? It says, there was no king in Israel in those days, so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was the theme of the culture on that day when the book of Judges uh, was written. What's What's it talking about? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words... I'm my own authority. I decide for myself what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. I am my own authority. It's kind of like what's happening today. I'll explain that further. What happens when a people group, listen carefully, what happens when a people group gets to a place where they believe they are, each individual is their own authority, where they no longer respect any governing authorities over them, whether it's a government or police officers? What happens to a culture when that becomes the pervasive mindset? When the majority of the people in a culture believes, I'm my own authority, no one's going to tell me what to do. Well, there's a word. Webster's defines uh, this word anarchy in two different ways. Can you put that up on the screen for me, Frank? The word anarchy has two basic definitions. Oh, I put one and one. But you get it, there's two. (laughs) I should have somebody check my work. Would you do that for me from now on? Anarchy is defined this way according to Webster's. The absence or denial of any authority or established order, number one. Number two, a state of lawlessness or political disorder due to the absence of a governmental authority. So when we think of this idea of I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes, I'm my own authority, and then we connect it with a person's identity, We have to ask questions like, who is it essentially that has the authority to make decisions about things that God says are is sacred? There's nothing more sacred on planet Earth than a human being. Do you know why? Because way back in Genesis, when we first started, it said that God stamped his own image on the human soul. That we are image bearers. Every one of us is an image bearer of God Almighty. So that makes human beings the most sacred thing on planet Earth. On planet Earth. Who then has the authority to determine what the identity is of a human being or other things that God has made sacred? Some would say that God relinquished that authority to man. There are some that actually believe that. There are some Bible teachers that believe that. Then there are others who say, no, God Almighty is the ultimate authority in everything. Everything. There's not a leaf that falls from the tree that falls without his knowledge and his ordaining it to fall. There's not a snowflake that falls that he doesn't know exactly the curves in each one of them. There's not a star in the sky that he has not named and knows the day when it will burn out. There's not a human being who will lose a hair on his head where God doesn't ordain it. Which is true? Does man have ultimate authority or does God have ultimate authority? I'm hoping that today when you leave here, you will have a definitive answer to that question. Because this is the question of our day. This is what's causing 10 police officers to be killed by a sniper. Because the question of authority is up for grabs now. We've lost, we're losing our respect for people that are in charge. This is a crucial message today. I hope that you won't miss it. 
let me pose two leading questions. Leading questions that will help kind of kickstart this passage in Genesis 17. Here they are. Number one, how does God identify himself? How does he identify himself? And number two, uh, what can we learn about him? Uh, What is his role in the workings of mankind? What is his role? Has he relinquished all the authority to man, or do we have the ultimate authority? We're going to look at both of those questions today in our passage in Genesis 17. And let me just say something before we even get going. You know something? You may be thinking, oh boy, I'm on vacation. This is a little tiny beach church. Can't you preach on something a little bit lighter? Let me address that right from the beginning. This is Island Baptist Church. If you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you. We are a Bible-believing church. We preach Christ crucified and raised from the dead. There is no light way to preach that. There isn't. We preach that a man lived a perfect life, died, and came back to life. You tell me, how do you preach that and make it light? That's every message that I will preach from this Bible is a message about that man. Can't do it light. So, I'm, I, I don't have authority over this church. You may think, well, you're the guy in charge, right? No, I'm not. I'm the head servant. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The head of every church. And I am obedient to Jesus. And the last time he told me, he said, Luke, preach through Genesis. And so that's what I'm going to do, regardless of what passages fall on what days. Are you with me? Let's preach the Word of God. Turn with me, if you can, to Genesis 17, 1 through 8. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be projected up on the screen. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, I don't know if you are capable, I'm not, of picking up on the main theme of a passage of the Bible. Sometimes it's easier than others. Sometimes it takes a lot of work. Here's usually what I do. Usually I will read again, and again, and again, and again, until I see, okay, wait a second, I'm starting to see the principle of the passage. I'm starting to see why God included this, where it fits into the whole story of the Bible. And so this week, it was on my 10th read-through. I'll just sit there on a Tuesday morning when I begin my sermon uh, preparation, and I'll read one time through, okay? Second time through, things will start popping out to me. If you're not willing to do that hard work, I've got to tell you, you're always going to be frustrated when you read the Bible. If you expect to be able to take the mind of God and get it in one read-through, it's not a very big God, is it? God's mind will always be just out of the grasp of human beings. Just out of the grasp. You know what that does? It creates a lifelong devotion to His Word. 
doesn't matter if you're Abraham's age, 99, you still have to focus and study and work hard in the scriptures. So on my 10th read-through, something started to pop out to me. I want to show you what it was. Take a look at this. There are 13, in these eight verses, 13 statements of authority. I put them up on the screen so that you could see all these different statements. Take a look at this. Verse number one, I am God Almighty. Verse number two, I will establish. Again in verse two, I will multiply. You shall be, verse four, no longer shall, verse five. Your name shall be, verse five. I have made you, verse five. Verse six, I will make you. Verse six again, I will make nations. Nations, we're going to come back to that. Kings shall come from you. Verse 7, I will establish. Verse 8, I will give to you. And then again, finally, I will be their God. Does it sound to you like anything other than a God who is in complete and total control? A God who has complete and total authority, not over just Abram, Abraham, but also nations, things that are happening in the world. He doesn't once ask for permission in there. Did you catch that? He never once said, Abram, is it okay with you or Abram? Here's what I'm going to do. If you're not okay with it, we'll change it a little bit. That doesn't happen. The sovereign God of the universe declares it, and then he tells Abram, go out and act as though it's so. This is what's meant by the sovereignty of God. The title of this passage is El, excuse me, the title of this sermon, El Shaddai. El Shaddai. I'm going to come back to you and explain to you why I named it that. Some of you may already know. But in case you're still on the fence about whether or not God is in control or whether or not he's given that control to man, we're going to look at three different things in this passage. And hopefully when we're done, you will know for certain. Let's look at the first one together, shall we? Point number one for today is this. He has ultimate authority over your lifestyle. I told you this was going to be a controversial message today. God has ultimate authority over your lifestyle. Look back at the first two verses. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Let's start with first things first. This is one of the first times God identifies himself in the whole Bible. God assigns to himself an attribute. This is the first time that he does that in the Bible. He says, I am God Almighty. Do you know what that is in the Hebrew? El Shaddai. El Shaddai. This is a way of God describing to Abraham, this is who I am. The God who is omniscient. The God who is omnipresent. The God who is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful over the whole universe, Abram. So the first time Abram gets to know this God, this is how he identifies himself. This is super important. You might want to write that down. El Shaddai. Now, before we move on to anything else about how God reveals himself in the scriptures, in case some of you are not real familiar, I want to make this clear in about 60 seconds. We talked about it on Wednesday night, and I want to expand upon it a little bit. The Bible has what's called progressive revelation. You know what that means? That God revealed himself in the beginning to Abraham in a particular way. And then all throughout the scriptures, he continued to reveal himself little more, little more, little more until an ultimate climax. Let me show you exactly what I mean. In Exodus, who does God reveal himself to? Moses. Listen to what he says to Moses in Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Let's put it up on the screen. God spoke to Moses and said to him, 
I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai. Same word in the Hebrew. This is how I revealed myself to them. But, but by my name, the Lord, or Jehovah, or Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So you see what God is doing there? Here, think of it like this. Imagine this is like a tree, and you can't see me behind it. Imagine if I was to stick my foot out like this. Then you'd know someone was there. And then a little by little, if I was to do this, you'd know, okay, I see a little bit more of him. And then a little bit little, I was to do this, okay, I see a little bit more of him. And then has God ever gotten to the place where he's fully exposed, out behind the tree? Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Let me read to you from Colossians. Listen carefully. Two verses in Colossians. Let's put them up on the screen. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Jesus. The second one. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. You want to know who God is? Look at the face of Jesus. It's the only way you will see the the Father fully revealed out in the open. You want to know my character? I've revealed it in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, all that to say, in this very beginning stage in the book of Genesis, God is sticking his foot out. He's saying, Abraham, this is all you need to see to go, whoa, that is different. That is a holy, set-apart, totally unique God. El Shaddai, God Almighty. There's a connection in these first two verses between the identity of God as El Shaddai and how Abram is supposed to live his lifestyle. In the Bible, whenever you see the word walk, watch carefully how you walk. Walk this way, don't walk that way. The word walk, you know what it is? It's the word lifestyle. How you live. Look what it says there. It says, be blameless, he tells Abram. Walk before me and be blameless. If you want to know a little bit about what that word means when we see it in the, the Bible, I preached about that a couple of months ago. You can go back online and read about it, but just so that you know, blameless is a word that literally means perfect. Perfect. So God is telling Abram, go before me and be perfect. Morally perfect, think perfect, don't ever say anything wrong, perfect. How in the world can someone do that? Here's what God is saying in a nutshell. Because I am who I am, if you're going to be my representative, you have to be perfect, flawless, blameless. Why would God tell a human being whom he perfectly knows can never do those things? Why would he tell Abram to do that, to live his lifestyle with perfection? It's very simple. Because he knew He knew what was all the way in the back of the book that one day he would reveal to the world you're right, nobody can be perfect. That's why you need the Savior who's perfect. So he's beginning this revelation right now in Genesis all the way at the beginning of the story showing people, yes, if you want to come and be in the presence of God Almighty, you have to be perfect because he's perfectly holy. So God tells Abram, if you want to be my billboard, Out in the world, you have to be blameless. Oh boy, tall order. So the question is, now that God has given Abram his marching orders, who's in control? Who has authority now that God has said, go forth, be blameless, I am El Shaddai, that's how you should live, as if you know who I am. Does Abraham have the right now to say, well, that's nice and all, but I'm going to live how I want? Or is God in sovereign authority over Abram's life? These are big questions, lofty questions. 
want to tell you something that I hope will clear it up for you, okay? I don't, I don't care who you, you are in this room, what you've, where you've come from, what you're going through, what, what you've learned in the, in the course of your life, uh, what background you have, whether you're a Christian, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, an atheist, or an agnostic, or any other label, you have an Almighty. You have an El Shaddai. Here's how you can tell. Whoever has ultimate authority over the daily decisions of your life is your Almighty. If you were to ask an atheist, who has the decision-making authority in your life? Who chose the cereal that you'd eat this morning? Who chose the pink color of your bedroom? Who chose the car that you would drive? They would say, enough. I have ultimate authority in my life. I choose. And what I say goes. I choose what time to wake up. I choose what I do for a living. I choose where I live. So an atheist, actually, you can tell for sure. They really believe or disbelieve that they have the ultimate authority because of how they make their decisions. What about Christians? If you're a Christian here today, I would hope that you would say, God Almighty, El Shaddai, is the ultimate authority over my lifestyle. That means there's not a single decision that I make without consulting El Shaddai, including what I put in my body, including where I live, including who I marry, including what kind of car I drive. Yes, every decision is relinquished over to God Almighty. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's hard. It's hard. Easier said than done, right? I asked my little eight-year-old this morning. Sometimes I do this little, little test with my eight-year-old to see how all of you are going to respond to my message. So he and I are sitting here alone, and I said, Logan, who's the ultimate authority over your life? He's a smart boy. And he said, God is, because he knows the answer Daddy wants to hear. <laughs> God is, Dad. I said, what'd you have for breakfast? And he told me, I, forget, I think oatmeal or something. Well, who chose that? Oh, I did. So you're, you have the authority? And he goes, oh, wait a second. I could see his wheels were turning. He goes, God is? With a question mark. I said, some cool flip-flops you got on. Who chose those? He goes, uh, God did? <laughs> so if you're anxious to get to the conclusion, to the answer, so was Logan. We're going to get there. Just stay with me. <clears throat> Peter, in the New Testament, wrote to a group of Christians who also had this question about how they were supposed to live if El Shaddai, God Almighty, is their ultimate authority. How are they supposed to live? Guess what Peter told them? The exact same thing God told Moses, or Abraham. Same exact thing. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 15 through 17. Christian, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Holy is a word that means set apart. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives in reverent fear during your temporary stay on earth. So because God is who he is, I'm supposed to live in a way that shows he is more important than even my own lifestyle? Yes, that's what Christians are supposed to be doing. <clears throat> I want to tell you a quick story before we move on to point number two. I have a dear friend, a dear friend who learned this lesson in his college days. And he loves to tell the story about how in college he used to date a whole bunch of different women to try to find the woman that God had for him. And then he realized, you know something? If I really belong to the Lord, choosing a wife is probably the most important thing about my lifestyle that I could possibly choose. 
You make that decision, it affects every other thing in your life. You're no longer your own. Every decision you make affects someone else, and then eventually children, it'll affect them. So I'm reserving for myself probably one of the most important decisions a person will ever make. He basically was saying to himself, I get to choose who I marry. And then he said, you know what? If I'm going to belong to Jesus, I'm going to relinquish that because it's the most, one of the most important things I'll ever decide. So from that day forward, he decided he would let God choose his wife. And I'll tell you something. At that moment, he loves to tell this story about how God brought him a woman. And not just any woman. But the perfect complement to him. A woman who would do this. Listen carefully. She would not allow this man to be any other man than who God said he was rather than who he said he was. That is the mark of a good woman. A woman who will say, I know you think you're this guy, but God says you're this guy, and I'm going to make sure that you're held accountable to it. So we are going to pray together, we're going to read the Bible together, and you're going to lead me in it. So this man allowed God to choose his wife, and because of that, God was able to use her like a chiseling tool to mold this man into one of the greatest men of God I've ever known. That's the kind of thing that happens when you relinquish the authority over to El Shaddai. Because he can choose far better than I can and far better than you can. Second point for today. He has authority over your identity. Authority over your identity. This may be the most controversial point, at least as far as our culture is concerned. Listen carefully. Verses 3 and 4. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. That's what Abraham means, by the way, father of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. This God that Abraham met, I wonder how many Christians, how many people in the world have lost touch with who this God really is. I wonder if it isn't the case that if you walk with Jesus long enough, keep coming to church long enough, you start to forget who this God really is. Do you understand? Do I really even fully understand how powerful how magnificent, how all-sufficient, how mighty, how glorious, how beautiful, how lovely this God really is. The God that Abraham met was unique among any other false gods of the day, and there were lots of them. This God was so unique that it led Abram to do unique things. I wonder if... Um, how many of you know who the paparazzi are? The paparazzi, right? The guys who take the cameras and they follow around stars. Go with me on a little, little journey here for a minute. Imagine if the paparazzi were to decide one day that they were going to try to capture a photograph of God. I know, crazy, hypothetical, right? Let's say that's what's going to happen. <clears throat> paparazzi are going to follow, try to follow God around and get a picture of him so that, for this purpose, they want to reveal the mass, the size, the dimensions, the glory the wonder. Christians often talk about how glorious, how valuable God is. If we could snap a picture, maybe we could show the world. 
Their goal is to reveal the God that Jesus knew. Okay? So they walk around trying to snap a picture of him, and here's how they do it. They follow you. They follow you around with cameras to see, well, Christians are billboards, right? They're walking representations of what God Almighty is supposed to be. That's what they claim about themselves, right? So if we go snap a picture of a Christian, we'll be able to see how big God is. Whoa. I wonder if cameras followed me around all day, if, they, if paparazzi would come away and say, there's a guy who worships an enormous God, so big, if we combined all the lenses on planet Earth and other planets, we would never have a lens big enough to capture the glory and magnitude of his grace and his love and his mercy. He's so enormous. If they measured all the decisions that I make in my life, all the lifestyle choices, if they were to measure them all up and put them in a big basket, would they be able to look in and say, whoa, this, God belie- this guy believes in a massive God? Or would they see a very puny God in my life? These are hard questions. But they're important questions. <clears throat> Here's why they're important. This is probably the um, most important thing I have to say all day. So <clears throat> please don't miss this one, Okay. I hope that you'll think about this a lot more as you go through the day. What if Abram was to leave this meeting with God? Let's say that the meeting with God in this chapter took place on a Tuesday morning, okay? It's Tuesday. God now says, Abram, you will no longer be called Abram, but Abraham. Okay, so that happened on a Tuesday. What if on Wednesday, Abraham now wakes up and says, you know what? I'm 99 years old. I've kind of grown accustomed to being called Abram. I don't really like that title, so... I'm still going to stick with the name Abram. What is that man's name on Thursday morning? Is his name Abram or Abraham? How you answer that question determines who your Almighty is. If Abram decided he didn't like the new name Abraham and decided, I'm going to stick with Abram, does he get to choose his identity? Is he Abram on Thursday morning or is he Abraham? Think carefully about how you answer that. Does God determine a person's identity and name, or does man? That's a big question of our day. Who is it? Who has the authority? Who's in charge that gets to determine big things like the gender of a man or the gender of a woman? Who is it that gets to determine what marriage is? Do we have the right? Do governments have the right? If we decide to call marriage something different, Is it really different the next morning? If we decide, if every man in this room was to decide today that we're now going to all call ourselves Caitlin, does that make it so? Does that make it so? Ultimately, what are we making these changes for? We're making these changes because we need the approval of man rather than the approval of God. We want man to identify us by a certain way because we've lost our desire for what God says about who we are. That's where our nation is headed. Friends, these are crucial times. These are times when it's not okay for followers of Jesus to be silent. When conversations like this happen in your inner circle, in your community, in your families, it's not okay to be silent. We have to open our mouths and say, listen, I know this is awkward, but God Almighty has the authority. 
even over a person's identity. There was one instance in the Bible where this came to a major head. Who has ultimate authority? Jesus was having a conversation with Pilate, the governor, the governor of Judea. And listen to what he says. John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. So Pilate said to him, keep in mind, this is a governor, a lot of power. Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it were given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. You understand what Pilate is learning in this case? The only authority that he has as a government official is the authority that comes from God. He has no authority other than what God has assigned to him. I learned this in my life. When it comes to identity, I had a real identity crisis not too long ago. Before I heard God's call into ministry, you know what I did? My wife and I owned a couple of martial arts schools. And um, for most of my life, people called me Master Fraser, or in Korean, Sabam Nim, which simply means chief instructor. And so everywhere I went, people would call me this, even my wife. I never even heard her say the name Luke until after we were married, I think, at some point. Because it was always, she was one of my uh, students at the school. Master Fraser, or Sabam Nim. And so, I had grown to a place in my life where spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, if I wasn't the karate guy, I didn't know who I was. I'd come to a place where the martial arts had become a very um, idolatrous thing in my heart. It, was, it had almost become my God. Because apart from the martial arts, I didn't have any identity. And so God taught me a great lesson. Eventually, he taught me that Luke, no matter how you define yourself, no matter what label you put on yourself, I see who you really are. You can call yourself whatever you want. You can wear any kind of label, whatever you want, but that doesn't make it so. I declare the authority, with my authority, the identity of a person. And so God told me, through a long period of learning, reading his word, that if you strip away from a person all the things that the world assigns identity to them, um, if you strip away from a person their country of origin, the language they speak, their hobbies, gifts, and talents, if you strip away their career, strip away your education, all those things that you identify yourself as when you introduce yourself to somebody new, hi, my name's Frank, and I do this for a living, and I live here, all those labels, what you're left with is a purely naked soul that God has stamped with an identity. No person reserves the right to redefine what God has said is sacred. Point number three, final point for today. God has authority over your destiny. Again, probably the most controversial subject, at least in the church, God has authority over your destiny. Look back at the final two verses, verse 7 and 8. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting or eternal covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. It's pretty clear in here. God is declaring things that are not yet in the eyes of man, but that already are in his eyes. Who can do that? Who can say, 
this is how something is, and now you go and live as if it's so. Who can do that except for a God that declares the beginning from the end in all matters, including the destiny of nations? How can, imagine if there's a, a king of Zimbabwe, and God says, you know what, Howie, from now on, you're the new king of Zimbabwe. If God says it, is it so? Or does the king of Zimbabwe have to declare it? Big questions. How you answer determines who your almighty is. Are nations the ultimate sovereign? Or is God the ultimate sovereign? Big question. Notice also that God says to Abram, I have made you the father of a multitude of many nations. Of many nations. God was assigning an authority, a role to Abram that he had no business in undoing. What if Abram, again, same question, what if Abram had said, not interested? Does it make it any less so? John MacArthur wrote a book called Ashamed of the Gospel. Dr. John MacArthur is known for being pretty outspoken on things like this. And I want to put up on the screen for you something that he wrote in this book about the sovereignty of God. And before, before it goes up there, sovereignty of God is one of those subjects that sometimes preachers shy away from. Do you know why? Because it's difficult for human beings to wrap their mind around these things. It's difficult. So if you leave here with questions, if you leave here with unanswered questions, it's okay. We all have them. The sovereignty of God is a difficult thing to understand. Listen to what Dr. John MacArthur said about this. Let's put it up on the screen, Frank. No doctrine, doctrine is a word for teaching, no doctrine, no teaching is more despised by the natural mind than the truth that God is absolutely sovereign. Human pride loathes the suggestion that God orders everything, controls everything, and rules over everything. The carnal mind, burning with enmity or hatred against God, hates the biblical teaching that nothing comes to pass except according to his eternal decrees. Nothing. Most of all, flesh hates the notion that salvation, listen carefully, salvation is eternally God's work. If God chose who would be saved, and if his choice was settled before the foundation of the world, then believers deserve no credit for any aspect of their salvation. Is MacArthur right? I asked my son again today, my eight-year-old son, to see how the mind of a child would wrap around something so huge like this. And you know what he said? I said, Logan, did you choose God or did God chose you? And he said, God chose me. I was like, praise the Lord. And I said, Logan, did God save you or do you save yourself? And he said, God saved me. I said, but Logan, you're the one that chose to have faith. And he stopped for a minute and he paused. And he said, no, Jesus saved me on the cross, Dad. Here's what I want to tell you. What MacArthur says is right. I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures. And here's why he's right. If this is a 50-50 proposition, Jesus did some of the work and I do some of the work that leads to salvation, then guess what happens? I no longer need to worship God because this is a 50-50 thing. This is not a 50-50 thing. This is a 100-0 proposition. God did all the work that would be necessary to save those whom he called. But don't take my word for it or John MacArthur's word for it. I want you to have the full counsel of God explain this to you, okay? I'm going to read you from one section of most of, the, uh, most of the Bible here. One prophet, one wisdom book, Solomon, one history book, Job, and then two from the New Testament. 
so that you can see this is a truth that's declared all the way through. Follow me here. Isaiah says three different times about the sovereignty of God over everything. Listen carefully. Isaiah 48, verse 3. This is God speaking. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them, and I made them known. Then suddenly, I acted, and they came to pass. Sovereignty of God. Isaiah 43, 13. Even from eternity, I am He, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Sovereignty of God. Isaiah 14, 27. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? The sovereignty of God. That's a prophet. Now let's talk to uh, a, a wisdom book, um, Proverbs, Solomon. Proverbs 19, 21. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Job 42, 2. The oldest book of the Bible, actually. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Despite the fact that we may try and try and try to change what God has ordained, we cannot do it. Now to the New Testament. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. One of the most difficult passages in the whole New Testament. But listen carefully. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, tell me if this sounds familiar, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, just like when He called Abraham. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Romans 9, 15-18. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Listen to the end. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Sounds like God has ultimate authority, ultimate say over a person's destiny to me. The final passage that I want to show you before you put it up on the screen, Frank, this is from probably the most unlikely source in the whole Bible. An unbeliever who finally, when he came to his senses, could no longer deny that God Almighty, El Shaddai, is in control of everything in his life. Listen to this most unlikely source. It came from Daniel. And when Daniel was living in such a way that this unbeliever saw, wow, this guy's God is so different. Listen to what this unbelieving king has to say. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. In other words, he came to his senses, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Remember, this is a king with lots of power. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will, and in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? We need to bring this to a close. 
Here's how I want to leave this to you and why this even matters. You may be sitting there going, so what? So what? Why does it even matter if God is sovereign or he's given me authority? Why does it even matter? Let me explain it to you as we close like this. This matters because it is on the front page of every newspaper. This is what our culture is talking about. The whole reason our culture is going like this when God has declared that we go like this is because we are forgetting who our authority is. And those of us who are Christians, we are seeing God's sovereignty through a particular lens. Don't miss this. We see the sovereignty of God through the lens of the cross. Here's what I mean by that. Here's why you should want God to be sovereign over your lifestyle, your identity, and your destiny. If it feels like I'm stripping away all the power from you, how many of you would say, I'm pretty happy being the authority over my life? You know why? Because my life has been awesome all the way through with absolutely no wrong decisions made, and I have carved out for myself a perfect life. Of course, no one would ever say that. By relinquishing control over to El Shaddai, we are putting our life, our destiny, our identity in the hands of the one who sacrificed his own son for you. This is a God who loves in a way you and I never could. This is a guy who will, a God who will govern in a way you and I never could. This is a, a God who will provide for our nation in a way our governments never can, no matter who we elect. We want a God who is sovereign over everything. IBC, when you finish your summer of deliberation, that's what this is. When the summer's over, pretty much you'll have to make a choice in November as to who will be our next president. I certainly wouldn't dream of telling you how to vote, but I will tell you this. Vote in peace. Vote in peace knowing that God's choice will come to office, either for the prosperity of our nation or the judgment of our nation. But God will have his man or woman. We'll see. Would you bow your heads with me? God Almighty, El Shaddai, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the one who called planets into existence. I say along with Nebuchadnezzar, we are counted as nothing, nothing when compared to your eternal greatness. You have the final say in all matters, including our lifestyle, our identity, our destiny. You, God, command and we obey. And Lord, it is our great privilege to obey a God and King who has our best interest at heart. To know that you will love us far better than we could ever love ourselves. That is a God who I want to be enslaved to. We thank you, Lord, for the Word of God, which pulls no punches for anybody. It is as you've declared it. I thank you that it tells us exactly the way things are and will be forevermore. So God, as we continue to worship now, I pray for every person in this room that you would incline our hearts towards you as El Shaddai, God Almighty. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.